Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode five of the Try Faster podcast presented by Fort Worth Tri Club. My name is Michael, and I am joined here by my friend and coach, Keith Kotar. How are you doing, Keith? Great. Excited to record another episode. Yeah, super excited. And it's amazing that we're already on episode five. Time seems to be flying by. Um, you can find all of our prior episodes on whatever podcast streaming service you're using. Uh, and we really appreciate any comments, feedback that you have for us. You can reach out to us on any of our socials. You'll see those attached to the show notes. Um, again, wherever you're listening, our Instagrams and Keith's uh, Fort Worth Tri Club website as well. So please reach out, let us know what you think, or if you have any questions, you can also tag us by putting the hashtag try faster on any Instagram post. We'll go in there, uh, check out your comments or check out any questions that you'd like to have included in future shows. Uh, on this show, we're going to be talking about how to utilize races in your training. Right now it's November here in the States, which means it's off season and winter time. Um, but there's still a whole bunch of opportunity to use races in your training to mix things up uh, or to test yourself. So we're going to be talking about how we incorporate races into our training. Uh, we're also going to quickly jump through uh, a couple questions related to alcohol consumption and taking time off during the holidays. But before we get into those details, let's first chat about some quick training updates. Keith, I'll flip it over to you to kick us off. So I've actually been training a decent amount for me lately, and uh, I've been able to get into double-digit hours three weeks in a row, so I'm pretty happy with that. After uh, after 70.3 Waco, my CTL bottomed out at about 52, which I think is the, probably the lowest since I was in high school. And uh, the last few weeks, we've gotten it back up, and right now it's at 72. So I think I'm on the way back to getting it up well over 100 again pretty soon. So I'm slowly getting in shape, racing a, a half marathon in seven weeks. So I do need to get a little serious about some fast running. So that's uh, that's one of the priorities right now is trying to spend some time running. How about you? Awesome. No, I don't have all the numbers and training peak statistics that you do, Keith. I let you stay in charge of that since, since you prescribe all my training, but uh, been feeling pretty good with the training that you've been giving me. I think last time we spoke, I gave the update that we, we were really just kind of entering the, the base phase of training in the off season. And we were starting to incorporate some strength training. My legs were really feeling it. It's amazing though, how quickly your body adjusts. I think once you incorporate strength training into your schedule, I would say it was for the first week and a half, two weeks. Um, it was, I was pretty sore. I was pretty tender from pretty basic, um, some body weight exercises and, and some, some weighted resistance type of exercises. Uh, but now at this point, I feel like the strength training routine is starting to settle in, uh, and the body's feeling a whole lot better and it doesn't feel like it's taking as much out of me on the bike or the run. Now you're still giving me some of those. So, um, super short, uh, high speed near sprint type efforts on the run. And, and those still hurt, um, but not nearly as much as the first one or two times that we did those uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'd say all things are coming together. Base phase of training is, is going very well. Um, the only struggle, and again, maybe that's another, maybe it's a topic for a future episode. Um, not sure if anyone else feels this, but uh, it's this part of the season where I feel my motivation dips the most um, because the intensity uh, is a little lacking, but um, I think overall been able to battle it pretty well and um, be as compliant as I can be at this point of the year with my workouts. 
yeah, the strength training, I think, I think it gets a little bit better during with time. And, and it's one of those things where you don't want the strength training to be such a, a, a focal point of the, of your program that you're sore from it all the time. Like it's really just a supplement. And so it's something we just do a little bit here and there just to kind of keep strength. And I think that's something that maybe we want to dive into deeper in another episode is strength training in general. Cause you know, some, some triathletes say they don't do it at all. Some triathletes say they do a little bit of strength training every day. And so it's really interesting, I think, to see both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, perfect. Well, let's let's jump into the main focus for today's conversation. And that's how we plan to utilize races in our training to mix things up, to add a little bit of motivation, um, to, I guess, have fun again. And to do that in a part of the season where we're t- people typically think of training as, a, well, I'm just going to go long, I'm going to go slow. But that's not always necessarily the best approach to it. And really mixing in the racing helps a whole lot. Keith, why do you like to race in the off season and, and how do you normally prescribe that to your athletes? So I like off season races just to one, have kind of a carrot during the, the time when there are no triathlons so that you can kind of stay engaged and have something to look forward to other than just training. And then I think for some athletes, it's nice to race, especially in your weaknesses. So if you're, week on the run, you know, to do some sort of winter road race and just try to keep that up. And then if you're weak on the bike, we can find some, some winter cycling races. Cause it seems like at least down here in the South, there's a lot of bike racing that starts January, February around here. And so we're able to kind of get on the roads and race pretty early. Um, our weekly criterium series in Fort Worth starts in March. And so there, there are a lot of racing opportunities cyclocross throughout the South. I mean, here in Texas, it's usually October, November, and then you can go up to Oklahoma and it's December and January when all the cyclocross happens. So there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities to do uh, some races in the off season. Yeah. And I, and I want to make the conversation a little bit broader, even than racing as, as you've presented it, I would even say maybe more cause I live in Illinois up, up North. We have no racing opportunities in December, or January. There, I mean, there's nothing, um, maybe unless you have a fat bike, there's a race here or there. Um, but racing could mean a couple other things, right? It could mean an indoor race like Zwift. Uh, last week you, pres- you prescribed me on my coach on the coaching plan, a Zwift race. And it was awesome. I had a whole bunch of fun getting in there and mixing it up in then in a virtual world. And then I also think racing in the off season could mean, especially for something like a swim where unless you're in a mass on a master's team and, and there's competition, um, you really don't have any opportunity to race in a swim, but there could be key workouts that you might do once a month, uh, once every other month or, or whatever that frequency is, uh, 10 by 100, 10 by 200, uh, a Kiwi power test or bike workout or a, a run distance of 5k that doesn't have to be a sanctioned event. It could just be a time trial, a measuring stick that you use for yourself. So you understand how you're training's going and you use as a way to mix things up, um, from the normal kind of low intensity, um, high, uh, low intensity, high duration type of efforts that a lot of endurance athletes tend to pack on in the base and and off season months. So, uh, I, that's how I see it. Um, again, maybe just because I'm coming from the North here, but, uh, the benefits that I see from doing these is, is for me personally, I think it's just a 
excites things again, right? The, the Zwift race that you gave me last week, it was really cool to do because all the bike workouts we've been doing that, you know, there's been some very short, high intensity efforts, and then there's been some endurance zoned type of efforts, but there really hasn't been a whole bunch in that uh, sweet spot to VO2, which if you're familiar with the Zwift race, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, you go VO2, maybe there's even a little sprint in there, and then you're holding sweet spot or your threshold. And then you go back up into VO2 for a little bit, the second you hit a hill, and then you're back in sweet spot or threshold. And I really love living in that space. It, by the time you get off the bike, you're you're completely exhausted and it's an it's an awesome workout. You're 45 minutes, 60 minutes in. So for me, it brings excitement, it brings something to look forward to. And to be able to do that once a week is probably a little bit too much because it would impact other parts of the training program. But it, it is definitely something that is, I think, beneficial to mix in from time to time. Keith, I don't know, what benefits do you see from from personally uh, racing in the off season? For me, it's really just fun. I think uh, I've, since running was kind of my first sport, I think as far as the three sports, it was the background. Uh, I've always just enjoyed running races. And then I think selfishly too, as not a strong swimmer, triathlons are usually long chases. But if I'm in a running race, usually I can kind of mix it up from the beginning. And it's a little bit more interesting than a triathlon <laughs> where I'm just uh, chasing, you know, and even if I win a triathlon, it's usually because I catch someone right before the end. But in the running races, I can kind of see what's going on and, and be in the race a little bit more than during most triathlons. So I think that's that's the fun part for me. And uh, there's I've always had some goals running, too. So this winter, I'm, I'm going to try to check one of the, the 5K time boxes, hopefully in March, that I've, I've had set in front of me for a while. So it's just some fun things to to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I've never experienced that perspective of a running race before. Maybe one day I'll get the chance to do that. But, uh, I think what we really ultimately need to talk about here, Keith, that we want to talk about like how to set your expectations and, um, how to time this in your training. But I think a lot of people, especially athletes that are trying to build year over year over year and get a little bit better. That's my perspective here. Um, want to know, is there actual physical benefits to incorporating these races in our base training is it going to help us get faster yes but i think that the the first part that we need to talk about is making sure you do need to make sure that if triathlon over the summer and the fall is your main focus that you don't put too much into these races that you forget the other two sports so whichever race you're training for during your off season you have to make sure that you're still incorporating the other two sports so that they don't fade off too much. You know, that being said, I think that if it's a, if it's a weakness, so if you're a weak runner and you're running a marathon in the winter and you're doing a summer or fall Ironman, um, then I think that makes sense to, to put on some running and then you can kind of ramp the swim of the bike up as you get closer. But I think we're going to, we're going to talk about some specific races here in a minute, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I guess that's the, that's, something really helpful to, to be reminded of from time to time. Cause myself in the winter time here, it's so easy to get stuck on the bike. Cause it's the easiest thing to do indoors. But if you're really focusing on being a, a well-rounded triathlete, you got to keep the volume up in all three. Do you see benefits in racing in all three disciplines individually in the off season? Um, or is it something where you think it's just, Hey, let's just focus on one. I think it would be great to do all three if you have the opportunity. I think that's that's really hard. 
um, down here, you know, the, for, for us where it's warmer, our triathlon season kind of bleeds into cyclocross, which is the the bike racing that I would do over the winter. And so I actually went to look and, and check. We have a weekly cyclocross series here in Fort Worth. And I went to look the other day thinking it was probably about time for it to start. And then it was actually the day of the last one. And so our triathlon season encompassed the entire cyclocross season. And so I ended up missing it entirely. Nah. And so that was kind of a bummer, but yes, I would, I think it's great. And I think if you have a chance to go do, you know, a master swim meet or something, I know those are kind of, those might be rare depending on where you are. I don't think uh, a lot of triathletes, they come into the sport, you know, later in life or, you know, they've never done competitive swimming. And I think it's a different experience to be able to go swim in a, a swim meet and it's, and kind of just see how fast you can go in the pool because it's a little bit different than training. You know, you get the adrenaline of a race and you, you could probably surprise yourself with how fast you can go. And you've got some competition to push you in the lanes next to you. Um, but then for our young guys, we, we try to do as much racing as we can in the off season. So our junior guys, they're racing a swim meet on Friday. We're starting to build our track schedule. So they'll run some track meets in the spring and then we'll have the first major triathlon for them. Isn't going to be until the end of April, beginning of May. And so, uh, bike racing, I, I think it's great if you're able to do it. Um, again, with our junior guys, we want them to try to race some crits maybe in the spring, in the summer if they're able to just to, to simulate getting into, you know, the drafting situation, but that's something we can also do pretty well in training. So it just kind of depends on what's available to you. Yeah. Now, um, me personally, over the past 12, 13 years, I've been doing triathlon. I would say 11 of those years, I was only a triathlete. And I think when you think about becoming a triathlete, it's really helpful to think about yourself as being capable or highly capable to, to your individual abilities in each of the three disciplines. And that's why I think racing is, is so important in the off season and maybe even during the season, right? Like if you're, um, maybe that's another conversation for, uh, for another day, but like, uh, if you're training, as you mentioned for an Ironman, uh, in the summertime, how do you plan to have really good marathon shape? for that race. Uh, how far back do you set that, that marathon date? How do you incorporate that train? All that stuff's really helpful. Um, but over this last year, I started doing crits. Uh, I now have, you know, we talked about it in a prior episode. I got the gravel bike. I'm out there on the gravel bike. I'm looking at races and groups that are going out. And I think all that stuff just makes it again, more fun, get out there, learn new skills. And then ultimately all those skills and the fitness that you're going to build up doing these events, it's going to pay, pay dividends and in a triathlon and i think that's the cool thing of it right yeah because you're kind of you're raising that threshold within each sport when you go race and you can you can see what you're capable of and then it makes your triathlon pace seem a little bit easier whenever yeah. you go out and do do a standalone single sport race yeah especially if it's something entirely different than triathlon like a crit race like if you can find yourself in a crit race um, you're using entirely different zones of, of fitness than you ever use during triathlon training. So it's a shock to the system a little bit, but it's a whole lot of fun. And uh, maybe one, one note is if you're doing a crit, just make sure you know, the course, make sure the type of people that are in the race, because as triathletes, the worst thing would be to break your collarbone or something in a very meaningless crit. <laughs> so there's no such thing as a meaningless crit, right? It's a race. <laughs> it's very meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, last year was my first year doing crits and I, I very much enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to getting out there next year. And I, I would call every single one meaningful. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping to be able to do that in our, our, uh, our weekly crit that we have here in Fort yeah. Worth. It's been a long time. I don't think I've yeah, done so. one maybe since the first summer, since I graduated from college, maybe 2014, I think that was mm-hmm. the last time. And so it would be fun to, to do that. I haven't done a bike race for a while. Yeah, it would be awesome. Uh, okay, let, let's talk about expectations. How do we get the most out of incorporating these races into our training right now? Let's, let's talk about the off-season. That's where most of us are at today. So how would we incorporate races and get the most out of it? So I, I think we, we won't really talk about it as far as swimming, just because if you can get into a swim meet, great. And they're in, at least in the off-season, the swim races – they're not going to have a huge toll on your body long-term, like some of the biker uh, cycling and running races would. So if you can get into a swim meet, I encourage you to do it. If you have an open water swim race over the summer and you know, there's not a triathlon, that's probably fun too. Um, if you have a chance to do that. And again, it won't have the big cumulative toll that a bike race or running race might. So, um, I think we'll just go into the bike next. And if you're trying to incorporate a bike race, I think that the biggest consideration would be to look at the duration. So if you're going to do some big hundred mile gravel race, just be cognizant of where that is relative to your, your a triathlon, but probably if it's in the winter, you're not really that close to a triathlon. And so I don't think that there would really be any negative repercussions to any of the cycling races. And the good thing about shorter ones, you know, if you're doing cyclocross or if you're racing, some spring criteriums, then they're probably in that VO2 max zone most of the time. And they're going to be on the upper end, which is what you're training during this, this base period is when you're trying to get fast anyway. And so I think that the bike races should fit into your schedule pretty seamlessly because they'll either be kind of that VO2 max or, you know, if they're a little bit longer or steadier than they might be, you know, just right at or above your threshold. And so then Again, that's kind of the zone that we're looking at at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but what the, about Zwift racing? I think that's important to cover because uh, there are a lot of Zwift racers on this call. I, I think that <laughs> 50% of us. Um, no, I, think that, uh, I think that when it comes to Zwift, you just have to be careful that you don't do it too much. Like you said earlier, you know, if you do one a week, like I prescribed you one last week because I felt like you were going to ask. And I don't, I don't know if, uh, maybe I beat you to it is what I was thinking. Um, but I felt it coming on. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I thought that might happen too. So we, we stuck that Zwift race in there because it's something different. Uh, most of them aren't, again, it's kind of the same. They're not super long. So you're kind of in that you're probably between 90 and 105% of your threshold for most of the race, other than the big surges. And so if it, yeah. right, am I wrong there? I've, I've only raced a few um, times on Swift, but. Yeah, you can sit in maybe like an endurance zone if it's a really flat and there's a big group of riders. But for anything with, um, if there's a, any sort of a hill or a sprint or anything like that, your VO2 plus type of efforts. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't. I wouldn't worry about those too much from a cumulative perspective because I think that most of those, you know, 30 to 60 minute cycling races are pretty much just replacing one of your quality rides that week. It's the, it's the running races where we need to be really careful. 
And so uh, the way that I look at our run races uh, during the winter time is I try to see what, what zone they're going to be in relative to your triathlon. And so for me personally, I've generally, what I've seen with a lot of the athletes that I work with is whatever you can run for a certain standalone running race distance, that pace is generally about the same as the next triathlon distance down. So, you know, my open 10 K time is about what I run for five K off the bike in a sprint try. And my open half marathon is about my 10 K pace in an Olympic distance. And then my open marathon is about the same as my 70.3. And that's not, you know, it's not a exactly, but I think it's close enough for a lot of people that at least that's a good starting point to kind of look at, look at your data, look at your own races and, and see, it's probably close enough that you're in the same training zone physiologically, at least, even if it's not the same pace, maybe it's, you know, 15 seconds per mile, but you're more or less, you know, in that window. And so my question ahead. is like, should we focus on a certain race? Just like, should we focus on the 30 to 45 minutes to 60 minutes bike races? or the 5k and 10k or maybe half marathon if you want to stretch it out there like should we really be looking at a marathon type of event in the off season when we're trying to build base or is that too much like is there i guess what i'm trying to ask is there a line to how far we should be going with this and would it be preferred to be doing shorter distances with higher intensity versus longer distances with less intensity i think it depends on the type of athlete you are i i think for most people doing the shorter distance is better. And just so you can kind of work on speed, because I think that's one of the things that's lacking the most with a lot of triathletes, but I also don't mind athletes running a marathon because it's, it's kind of like triathlon where you only have so many good Ironmans really, you know, in your body over time, a lot of athletes, you don't get that many shots to run a marathon. So if that's something that you want to do and you want to do well in a marathon, I think you want to take advantage of that opportunity because we are trying to do this because it's fun. Right. And so if you want to run a marathon, train for it and do it, but I think don't forget the swimming, don't forget the cycling, at least as supplements. And then, you know, make sure your marathon is timed correctly. Yeah. And so cross train. Yeah. Right. And I I don't think that you, I don't think you necessarily need to train specifically for a 5k or a 10k. I think they're short enough that, unless you've got some, you know, goal time that you've wanted to accomplish at some point, then you can run some 5k and 10k races, you know, every two to four weeks over the winter. And it's not, not too big of a deal, but when you start training specifically for the longer races, the half marathon or marathon, then there is a little bit more of a physiological toll that we need to think about during that preparation. And so, you know, I've got, I've got one athlete that, he did Ironman Indiana last year and he did pretty well. And we think that he can probably run about 315 or so off the bike on a good day, you know, with some training. This was his first real attempt at an Ironman. And so this winter, he's running a marathon without a lot of marathon specific training, really next to none, um, because he's also racing Daytona this weekend. And then his marathons in five weeks after that or six weeks after that. But we think we, we want him to try to run around that 315 just to see what it's like doing it in an open marathon. And then we can kind of get used to that pace as we get to, you know, him running that pace in an Ironman, you know, 12 to 18 months down the road. Okay. 
Uh, I, I think you bring up a really good topic for conversation, which is like, how do we time these events in our training program? For most people, it's not going to be a standalone marathon or anything like right. that. It's going to be the shorter events. Um, how do we do that? And then how do we make sure that we're recovering appropriately? So I, there it's, again, this is one of those where everybody's a little bit different, but yeah. for me personally, I've only run one open marathon and, you know, I put the swim and the bike away. It was, um, it was at a time life-wise where I wasn't really able to do all three sports. And so I just spent a few months running and, I still haven't gotten all of my swim and bike fitness back yet two years later or almost three years later now. And so that was kind of a mistake. So you do have to be careful with that. Um, the last serious half marathon I ran, I think, I think it messed my body up for about three months. And so it depends on how deep you're going to go in, in your race. But I think for most people, the, the rule of thumb that you may or may not stick to is really the, the running races linger in your body about a day per mile. And so, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to get a half marathon out of your legs. And I would, I would plan to at least feel the fatigue of a marathon for at least a month, just because I think, I think a lot of people think that Ironman is way worse than marathon and that a half Ironman is way worse than a half marathon. But, um, I think it's really the other way around and the, the running races are way more intense just because you're running a lot faster. And so it, it ends up damaging your legs more um, than what you would have in a 70.3. Like I would, I would much rather run a 70 do a 70.3 than, than run a half marathon. Here, and, okay. So I totally get what you're saying and a hundred percent agree. Half marathon was the sorest my legs have ever been in comparison to any 70.3 I've done a standalone but here's here's kind of question and then for me to understand so if we sign up for a 5k or a 10k uh in the winter during the off season should we be eyeing to go as fast as we can to push that limit as much as possible i know that's always the, the common thought like hey you're signing up for a race go as hard as you possibly can or sometimes do we sign up for races to be like hey my goal here is to be as controlled and comfortable during this and whatever pace below what would be my, my max effort. Like, should we, should we be going max effort or should we tone it down? I don't really like the idea of going into a race without planning to race as hard as you can. Okay. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes it happens where you're out there and maybe you're not feeling it, or maybe it's, you know, you're flowing pretty well and you, you stay kind of in that steadier zone. Um, and maybe you're not sprinting to the finish and going to the well, you know, the last kilometer of a 10 K, but you know, let's say you're going to run 40 minutes is your max evenly paced run out of gas at the finish line. You know, maybe you've paced it pretty well and you've stayed under control and you run, you know, within 15 or 20 seconds of that. So you're not killing yourself, but you're getting a good race. If that makes okay. sense, you know, you're not, you're not scraping the bottom of the well, but you're standing there at the bottom. Right. Okay. No, I think that's helpful because I've definitely, I've definitely signed up for races like, Hey, I'm just going to go out there, have fun with it. I think that still works for a lot of athletes, myself included. Yep. Um, but if you can, and you can set aside a race distance and you're going to go out there and try to get, uh, as, as much of a impact to your overall fitness, it's go out there and, and give it your best. That's what you're saying. That's what right. you tell, that's what you tell your athletes to do. Yeah. And I know a lot of coaches 
think, you know, Hey, you can go use this race as training and because you've only got so many maximum efforts. But I think, um, one part of this too, is it depends on how fresh you are going in too. So if it's truly a training race, maybe you're fatigued and you can't actually get to that really, really deep place. Right. Um, but if you go into something like a marathon or a half marathon and you're, if you've taken the time to taper for a long race like that, you might as well go race hard. Now, if it's your local 5k or 10k and you did a hard bike ride on Thursday and you did a hard swim on Friday and you're going to go race on Saturday morning, maybe you're not even going to be able to push quite to that limit where it's, you know, damaging for a couple of days. You might just be 95% of your best might be all you can, might be your best on the day. Yeah. So yeah, that's dependent. And, and also fitness wise too, if you haven't really trained to run 5k pace, you might not get 5k pace out of your body. And so you might be running slower and it might feel really bad, but it might not be as physically damaging as, you know, normally would be just because you're not in that kind of fitness. That's what I feel about myself right now that if I tried to do a 5k or 10k just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a great time to, I think where my fitness is at today, just because there's not enough there's not enough efforts in that zone right now to get a good result, but that's still okay. Because again, going back to the start of this, the whole intent of mixing in some racing in the off season is to have fun, mix things up, get out there and do something a little bit different, whether that's in the swim, the bike or the run. So I, I hope if there's uh, any of you out there that are listening, if you've been considering or wondering how to work a race into your schedule in the off season and the off season could be from now all the way up to the beginning of your triathlon season. Uh, I guess the, the ultimate advice or guidance that, that we're trying to share with you today is just to go out there and do it, have fun, put it on the calendar. Uh, you do need to monitor or adjust your expectations depending upon what that race is, where it falls on the calendar to the other events. Um, but ultimately go out there, give it your best, have fun with it. And you can get a benefit from doing that race to your triathlon fitness in the future. Yeah. And, and I think one, one more thing on the recovery is if you're running a half or full marathon, I usually encourage my athletes not to, not to run the next week. You know, especially after a marathon, I think take your time, yeah. take a day off, take two days off, get in the pool for a day or two, as long as you don't cramp when you push off the wall. And then, uh, you know, I would, I would refrain from any hard bike workouts for a few days. And, and that's something else you do need, you do need to consider is, you know, if you taper for a week and you recover for a week, you are losing two weeks of training, but you should get a big boost from this race. So I know a lot of, a lot of triathletes are afraid to to miss a little training time to taper and recover, but it's okay to, to do that. Cause you are going to get a big fitness boost from your, your longer yeah. running race, but just yeah. make sure that you're recovered before you jump back into real training. This is racing for fitness versus doing a full taper. A lot of people think triathlon taper, then you lose fitness after the race. That's true, but this is the opposite. This is racing to gain fitness. And if you do it, if you do it correctly, it can be really beneficial and fun. So go out there and have some fun, everybody. Um, Keith, we added in last week, the weekly workout segment. What do you have to share with us this week? So, uh, the workout that I'd, I'd like to do, uh, this week, we, we had a few athletes do this. Our, our juniors did this. And then, um, some of the, some of the people I had racing our Turkey trot last week, uh, did a similar type of workout. 
And so since we're kind of in that speed phase, like you talked about earlier, we're, we're doing a lot of maximum effort workouts. And so just really short, short bursts of running followed by, um, you know, big, big rests. And so what we did this week is we did four 100 meter sprints. So they're a little bit on the long end. And then uh, in between each, they jogged about six or 700 in the grass. And we did these barefoot too, uh, since we talked about that a little bit last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did some barefoot sprints in the grass and we do the sprints first so that you're actually doing them when your muscles are a little bit fresher and you're ready to go. That way we're not sprinting at the end of the workout and we're, we're not getting the maximum benefit out of it. So we did a few sprints in the beginning and then took a big recovery, put the shoes on, hopped on the track. And then we did just four, four to six, four hundreds at target 5k pace. So nothing fast. And then we had plenty of rest in between, but it was just getting us used to that. That 5k pace we'll be running in the spring off the bike mm-hmm. when, uh, when we're, we've got a little bit of fatigue. So we front loaded with some sprints and then spent a little bit of time, uh, running our goal race pace. And you could do this for any distance, especially if you're running, you know, I, I like to do this with a lot of athletes when they're training for half and full marathon, we'll do some speed up front and then we'll spend a little bit of time at their half marathon pace or full marathon pace. And we might insert this into, you know, the weekday quality run, you know, maybe, um, four to six short hill sprints with lots of recovery and then go off and run, you know, three by two miles at half marathon pace or uh, two by three miles at marathon pace or something like that, uh, just to run at your race pace. Once your legs are, are loaded from the sprint. Yeah. These workouts always on paper don't look too bad. I've always, you know, I've, you've, you've sent these to me before. Um, they don't look bad, but you don't realize how much the speed portion is going to take out of your legs until you get to the race pace portion of the workout. It's always surprising to me. Right. <laughs> But I think, I think one of the things too, that this helps with is when you do the speed first, you, in order to go fast, and I think this is true in all three sports in order to go fast, you have to have good technique. And so what we see is sometimes that race pace feels easier because you're coming off the sprint and that technique carries over. And so then you can practice running with that technique yeah. at your race pace. Awesome. Those are some good workouts. Uh, Keith, I have some important questions to cover this week that, um, have been shared with us. The the first one, it's very appropriate. I know no one can see you right now, but behind you, there's a bunch of wine glasses and some bottles of wine. This is the time of year that many people are getting together with friends and family and training just typically a little bit lower. Uh, I know I'm, I'm speaking very specifically, but that's probably because how that's how I feel. Uh, my life is going right now because of all that alcohol consumption's up, right? So uh, here's the question is, should we be consuming alcohol while training? Yes or no? So I think one, the first thing you need to do is if you do have a, a drink on a regular basis, kind of see how it affects you. But I think the number one negative to, to alcohol is most people drink at nighttime because you're working during the day, but mm-hmm. it does mess with your sleep cycle. And so, you know, it could keep you from, getting those, that, that REM time when you're sleeping. And so one thing to think about is the half-life of alcohol is about five hours. So that means to clear it out, it takes about a a full day, 24, 25 hours to clear it all from your system. And so if you have a drink at eight o'clock 
seven or eight o'clock and then you go to bed at nine or 10 o'clock, basically, you know, three quarters of that alcohol is still in your system and it's going to be messing with your body while you're sleeping. And so for a lot of people, you, we go through that cycle where if you drink at nighttime and then you don't sleep well, and then you drink a cup of coffee during the day, right? And then maybe you're tired from not sleeping well, and then you have a second cup of coffee in the afternoon, and then you have another alcoholic beverage at nighttime. You kind of just get into this cycle where you're not sleeping from the alcohol, and then you're relying on the caffeine, and then you're also not sleeping from the caffeine and the alcohol again. And so I think just be mindful of what you're doing the next day and when you time your your alcoholic beverage before relative to your sleep. Okay. I think you just described my life, Keith, except I sleep pretty well. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Uh, and, so the and, alcohol consumption has been a little bit more regular than normal lately, but uh, the coffee helps uh, in the mornings. It's, it's always been present, uh, but the drink, the drinks are, the drinks have been pretty good lately. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's me, been affecting my workouts so much, um, like one or two drinks, but if, you know, I really never have more than that typically, but um, yeah, I, I guess I haven't, I haven't felt it negatively impacting sleep or training, but maybe I'm just not perceiving it when it's, when yeah. it is there. I don't know. And and I'm somebody that doesn't have more than one or two drinks per year. And so every time I have one, it negatively impacts me for a while. So, uh, I have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, so I guess, Hey, if you're out there, you want to have alcohol while you're training, give it a go. Why not? Um, Do while you're on, think, the bike, you know, on the bike, yeah, on the first thing I wrote this down, everybody is alcohol consumption while while training. We were joking about the beer mile, um, so so that's all good stuff. If you want to do it, go for it. See how it affects you. If it's adversely affecting your training, you need to make adjustments. I think that's the ultimate um, to boil everything down. Uh, next question um, for each of us here is Keith. Um, best tip to manage the holiday schedule, time off life, everything else that's going on. What do you have? So I've got two tips. The, the first one is don't be afraid to take a couple days off. So whenever you're traveling for the holidays or if you're spending time with family, you know, take a couple days. If you've got a long travel day, if you're driving 10 hours somewhere, you don't need to work out that day. You know, if you can squeeze in a run or something, it, it might make you feel better, stretch the legs out. But don't be afraid to take a couple of days off. Take one of the big holidays off. You know, it's okay. And then I think the days, if you're on the road and you're traveling, you know, prioritize a certain workout, you know, every day so that, you know, for a lot of athletes that are working out a couple times a day, spend a week just working out once a day, you know, and, and make sure that you just know what that important workout is each day and, you know, which make sure you get that in and then you know, if you get a second workout, great. And if not, it's okay. And I think the other, yeah. I guess the last part of that when you're traveling is if you're limited on what you can do. So if you can't get into a pool, you can't bring your bike, just try to make sure that you, whatever sport you have access to, that you are getting the energy systems that maybe you would have done with the other sport. So, you know, don't just kind of do the same thing every day. If you can do a little bit of speed, do a little bit of VO2, maybe get a tempo run in there. Um, but also be careful if, if the only thing you can do is run and you spend a week, you know, out of town, but you normally run three or four days a week, don't go run seven days in a row and get hurt either while you're, while you're out yeah. there. So make sure you're recovering from the workouts that you have. 
Keith, that's the perfect coach advice. Um, I'm going to give the age grouper advice, which is like, just don't worry about it, everybody, which I, I know is kind of your, your initial point. Um, but like, Hey guys, it's the holidays for most people. You're hanging out with family and friends. Don't worry about it. Take the day off, take two days off, take a whole week off. If you need to, we're not racing tomorrow. Most of us. Uh, so, uh, enjoy the time with family and friends. I think that's ultimately what's more important. If you, and if you don't have them by your side, then all the training and everything else that you, you're trying to do is, isn't going to go well for you the rest of the year. So, so spend that time, do it. Don't worry about the training. If you are dying to do something and you only have a little bit of time, I would even back off and say like, Hey, I only have 15, 20 minutes, go do your stretching or your core, uh, and body weight exercises to get a little bit of activation just to keep your body limber. Uh, I know it's not endurance related, Keith. This is not, this is not actual endurance coach advice here. This is just my personal age group or middle of the pack advice. That's what makes me feel a little bit better about at times when I, when I'm not able to get in or have the time for a swim, bum, bike or a run. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. That's, yeah. that's invest in a good training. set of stretch boards and uh you can exactly. you can do all of your strength training upper body and lower body with a good set of stretch cords maybe keith can <laughs> <laughs> uh speaking of like hey needing to take time off keith just uh i know i haven't shared this with you yet but i'm getting my covid booster friday and the the second shot last time really knocked me on my butt so just letting you know I need, okay. maybe need like uh, an alternate workout or a day off on Saturday, depending upon how I'm impacted. I'm getting the COVID booster and the flu vaccine at the same time. So maybe a double whammy and a bad idea. I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> all right. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. Let's talk about news now. Cause there are some, there's some amazing news to chat through and let's, uh, let's just jump into it because uh, a week and a half ago, uh, we saw Christian Blumenfeld take on Ironman Cozumel. In our last episode, we were talking about Lionel and Gustav and Ironman Florida. Uh, Gustav came out with a world record first time Ironman performance, right? Not an, not an overall Ironman world record, but a first time Iron, uh, participant Ironman world record. Christian Blumenfeld, his country mate, decided he could do a little bit better, showed up at Ironman Cozumel not only beat Gustav's time in Cozumel, which I think had hotter and more humid weather than Florida did. Uh, Florida was actually pretty cool and pretty good weather conditions overall. Uh, I think maybe a little bit windy on the bike, uh, but demolished the Ironman world record as well in a field that I would, I would just, you know, let me preface this up, left him rather uncontested the entire day. And it's not like it's a, uh a weak field though, either there were, there were some, some decent guys out there, but, uh, when you can go, when you go seven twenty one, uh, no one's really going to be close. I don't think, but the, the one thing that seems like not, not a, I think the, the discussion about this world record is what, what do you feel about world records in Ironman, Michael? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, right. Cause if it, it, the quote unquote Ironman, we're just talking long distance triathlon, then, you know, it wasn't a race or it kind of was a race, a stage race. Then Jan has it right. Um, cause there was two people there. It was a race. It was not a sanctioned Ironman event, but it was still a race. Maybe you even say, no, no, Jan is Jan's the world record holder. Um, well, prior to this, Jan was the world record holder. Um, but, but now Christian's 
the technical, I think what most people would acknowledge as the world record holder, it, it probably is meaningless, but I think it's important yeah. to look at the time, how he swam, he dominated, uh, in a full distance swim, the bike, uh, what was it? A 404, 402, 402. somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and then the, and then the run was, was, what was that? It was 235. 235 uncontested on the run. Like how much faster could he have gone? Like there's, it's a flat bike. It's a flat run. Um, so it's not a technical, there's no technical challenges there with Hills or anything like that. Uh, but he could probably have ran faster. I mean, that's, that's unimaginable. He could, I think he can go under two thirty if he was challenged on a fast course. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that we do need to take note in case, in case you didn't follow this race closely is the swim was downstream. And it appeared it, it was downstream, and I saw that someone said it was about 400 meters short, okay. which is a lot of time. And the run was also about 600 meters short, which is obviously not as much, but you're still looking at two minutes or so, um, two two to two and a half minutes on the run, um, and you're probably looking at 10 minutes or so on the swim. Uh, but what would have been interesting is he did have some company coming out of the out of the water, right? Um, and who, who was, it was Patrick Nilsson that was with him out of the water and stayed with him on the bike. And then we don't really know what happened. Supposedly Patrick Nilsson started vomiting with about 10 K left on the bike and lost about 10 minutes in the last 10 K. Um, otherwise it would have been interesting to see how long he would have hung on to Christian on the run. But, uh, yeah, from there, then it was long. just solo, solo yeah. after that. Yeah. But, I, I think it's amazing. I think to me, put the world record questions aside, put, Oh, this course was a little short, long downstream up, like put all that stuff aside. It's very clear. We have a, a new group of athletes coming in to full distance triathlon that, you know, are doing things. No one thought was possible. They're doing it on their first time out. Like how right. much faster can he get? Like he's Christian Blumenfeld is our Olympic gold medalist, right? Yeah. He, is very fast at a 70.3 distance. He's very fast on an Olympic course distance. He's very, he's the fastest ever right now on an Ironman course distance. He's fast at all of the distances. Yeah. And don't forget competitive triathlete. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, super spread. I mean, he can do it all. Uh, So I think it's just exceptionally remarkable that we have these athletes like Christian and Gustav and, and there's many more other short course athletes that are now making the jump up to long course distances and they're doing it and beat competing or uh, demolishing the competition that specializes at the long course distance level. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, when you look at the times too, I mean, the, uh, Rudy wild in second beat the previous Ironman record, Ironman brand record. And so, um, you know, everybody went, went really, really fast. Um, and if we look at, the uh, the women too, because we don't, we don't want to forget about that race is Sarah Svensk also would have beaten the best Ironman time ever for women when she, with eight twenty two. Yeah. Um, over in an, in an actual Ironman, you know, there's, there were some shortened ones or, uh, challenge Roth. The, the time is a little bit faster, but I think we all, I think everyone agrees challenge Roth is a little bit short. So, yeah. uh, just like this race. 
So I, I, I'm excited. I think what, what this race says to me is there's a whole lot of exciting racing to come in the future. I hope that we get to that point sooner than later. I want to see Christian. I want to see Gustav. I want to see Jan all compete in May in St. George. I want to see him compete in Kona next year. I think there's just so many things to talk about and look forward to. I think it does, you know, it's exciting for us to watch. It's also probably a little, I don't, uh, I don't know the perspective of the other pro athletes, but those pro athletes that have been specializing in this distance uh, now to come up. And I think a lot of them, especially if you were formally competing for a top five spot, these guys show up. I mean, you're, you're hoping to get into the top 10, maybe top 15, because there's so many of these up and coming athletes right now in the sport. Uh, maybe it's a little bit discouraging for them, but it's exciting for triathlon. Yeah. And, uh, very exciting. It's just going to get faster and faster. And we get to, we might get to see it twice next year, right? Because Christian said he's going to race uh, both world championships next year. So it'll be awesome. It'll be fun. Yeah. So um, do we want to talk about South Africa or yeah, South Africa just a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Keith. So um, we had Ironman South Africa also this last weekend. And uh, Maurice Clavel, who's been around triathlon for a really long time, um, but this was actually his first win at a full-distance Ironman. So um, big day for him. Uh, Sebastian Keenley finished second. We haven't seen him race a whole lot, so it was nice to see him up there. And uh, Rasmus Svenningsten got uh, third in the race. This was a pretty good field. Um, Kyle Buckingham was down there, Bradley Weiss, Anthony Costas, so it was a pretty good uh, men's field. And then so does that uh, means Sebastian the got his Kona spot, right? Yes. Yes. He's got awesome. his spot now. So it's good. We'll get to see him uh, back in Kona again. Awesome. Um, and then on the women's side, uh, Ruth Astle won the race. Uh, she was a couple minutes ahead of uh, Anna Watkinson. Uh, it was a really small women's field. And so uh, only eight finished on the women's side. But uh, the, I think the biggest part of the day, news-wise, was the swim. And a lot of people, I think from afar, were upset that we saw another shortened swim. But uh, for the pros, they shortened it down to half distance. So it was 1.2 miles. And then I believe for the age groupers, they shortened it down to about 400 meters. And then if you saw any video, um, it was pretty wild. We saw um, Lauren Brandon posted on her social medias that um, – she was surprised that they even had a swim. And so from coming from one of the best swimmers ever to do triathlon, I think that's a pretty big statement that, you know, it was that, that scary out there that, uh, you know, so maybe, maybe Ironman made the right call. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm surprised that, uh, that it was that bad that they, if it was actually that bad that they still had them swim out there. Was it just the wave condition? I didn't see that. Yeah, um, it was, it was pretty well. choppy it was choppy and big swells. And, and so, um, short swim for, for everybody. So if you look at the times, they are pretty fast and, uh, it, that's, that's a big reason for it, especially the, the, uh, age group side, cause the swim was just a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I think the only concern I would have there as an age group athlete is the swim's too short to space everything out. Like, are they going to give 10 seconds or 15 second gaps between starters and, because uh, you would kind of need to with that short of a swim. <clears throat> right. Yeah. That's, that's a, a big crowd going out and, and then 
you know, with all the drafting that we see on the bike, that's, that would be the next concern, right? Oh, yeah. Major challenge. So, all right, let's talk about some of the races coming up this weekend. Cause we have two, um, pr- pretty big races happening here in the States. Uh, let's talk the first one's Indian Wells. Uh, and most of most notably Lionel Sanders getting to the line after doing what I think four Ironmans since his last 70.3 he's really been focusing on the full distance, um, training. And, um, this will be our first time seeing him doing a 70.3 since, um, North American championship last year in St. George. Anyone yeah, else yeah. you're going to be looking for in, in Indian, Indian Wells? Uh, Mickey Tagholt, he, uh, he's the guy that had a, a really breakout performance at the world championship this year. Uh, he was fourth at 70.3 worlds. And so he's been having a great year. Uh, Chris Leiferman is on this uh, start list as well. Um, there are a few guys a little on the older side, um, uh, that we've seen racing for a while. Um, Igor Amarelli, Anthony Costas, Pedro Gomes, uh, Brent McMahon. That should be interesting. Um, Brent McMahon is 41, um, but he still is racing pretty well. He was sixth at 70.3 California earlier this year. So uh, yeah. he's still in good shape. Um, we and got then I think Louis, the, and, yeah. and we don't know if he's going to be there. He's so, there or in Daytona, which we'll talk right, about Vincent, here in a second. Yeah, Vincent Lewis is on both, and is uh, Justin Metzler is on both, I believe. Yeah, Justin's on both too. So I'm not sure where either one of those will show up. We also have Ari Clow on this list. Uh, for those of you that follow any of the um, YouTube triathletes, he is on there. He's a new pro. He's really fun to watch. Um, so go check out his YouTube channel. Uh, the big question for him, he can definitely bike and run with the best out there. Um, well, uh, eventually I think he'll get to that level, but can he, can he improve his swim? So it's always fun to see how much he's improved his swim from the last time he raced. It's been a little bit of time since he raced last. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see where he comes out of the water. It's a pretty big men's field, uh, in Indian Wells. So hopefully he'll have yeah. some company. And, uh, Belgian short course guy, Yelly Haynes, he, uh, got the win at Abu Dhabi a couple weeks ago and he went to the Olympics this summer. And he was one of the favorites to win, but he ended up testing positive for COVID the week of the race and wasn't able to race the individual race. He was back in time for the relay, but uh, he's somebody to look out for. I'm interested to see what he can do in his uh, his first big non-drafting race. Is it, So is this his first 70.3? This will be, as far as we know, maybe he's done okay. something off the radar that we don't know about, but I, this should be his first uh, his first long course race. This will be fun to watch then. So he'll be one of the people to keep an eye out for. Uh, okay. Yeah. So the then, probably the biggest race this weekend. Women. Is women Daytona. Don't forget. Oh, sorry, Keith. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's cover the women real quick. The, the women's race doesn't have quite as many big names. And I think that's mostly because Daytona is the big one. Uh, Tamara Jewett. She's the first one on the, on the start list. She's ranked number 18 right now uh, in the world. Sarah Svensk is on this start list. She's the one that won. At Cozumel, not sure if she's mm-hmm. going to make that turnaround two weeks later, um, but maybe she needs a seventy point three world spot. So maybe this would be a chance to get that out of the way. Um, a little further down the list, um, the one name that we mentioned a few weeks ago, Amy Sloan from the uh, LA Triathlon. I'm interested to see how she does. Uh, she finished fourteenth in her first Pro seventy point three earlier this year, and so with a smaller field, maybe we can see someone like her sneak into the top five, um, or have a big, big performance. So 
Okay, Daytona. That's the big one. Okay, Daytona stacked field. Uh, it's hard to go through all the participants in the Daytona list. Let's start here on the women's side because I'm very, very excited to see this group of athletes go at it. Uh, Lucy Charles Barclay, Laura Phillip, Ann Haug, Emma Palance, Sky, Jenny Messler, Paula Finley, uh, Ellie Salthouse. It it goes on and on. Like I mean, we, we we haven't even talked about Imogen Simmons. Like the list, I think a top ten here, Keith, is an impressive result. What's your take on this stacked field? I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially with uh, the laps on the on the race course on the bike. Um, what'll be really interesting to see is if some of the weaker swimmers, you know, maybe looking at someone like Miranda Carfrey, are they going to be you know an entire lap down at some point because it is a short loop. It's not uh, it's not like it's a big big long race course out there. So we could see some athletes getting lapped early, and I'm interested to see what that does to the dynamics of the race with. Um, maybe strong cyclists being a full lap down, you know, I know you can't, you can't be, you're not supposed to be in the same line as, as someone that's on a different lap than you, but you know, there's still that, that little bit of draft you can maybe get, you know, somebody that's a lap down and riding really hard, you know, can they help the lead person, you know, not intentionally, but I think that'll be something to look out for is if, you know, somebody that's a lap down ends up giving some unintended assistance to somebody that's at the front of the race because they're riding really hard for the back. Yeah. Is, is, how does Ann hog swim? Is she going to be up there or is she going to get, she's going to get dropped? Yeah. She is not a great swimmer. And so okay. we'll see what happens, you know, on, on the bike, if she can catch up, she's generally toward the back on, on the swim. She's, you know, generally a 28 to 30 minute swimmer. So not, not a front pack swimmer by any means, especially when we're looking at someone like Lucy Charles, that's probably going to swim, right. you know, 23 Please minutes or 24 yeah. minutes if she really wants to. <laughs> so I think for right. me, the race is probably my, my pick is, is Paula and Lucy Charles battling it out from the beginning at least. And then we'll see Ann how coming from the back. Yeah, I, I gotta go. I, I almost, man, I don't know. I think Lucy is the one to beat here. Paula can, can be there, but, um, again, like, yes, she, she won Oceanside. How's her fitness though? Still, um, she took a lot of time off. I followed her on her social. She, she took time off from that race and was uncertain if she was going to be here in Daytona. Um, so I think Daytona is Daytona just the cherry on top for her, or is this something she's really going after? So it makes me hesitant to, to say she's going to be competing. I think there's still a lot of competition for Lucy in this race though. So it'll be fun sure. to see who ultimately steps up. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, to pick Lucy to win and Paula to get second and, and have to come up with, with third. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you can be there if you're going to swim too slow. So I, I would go Lucy. I still like Jeannie Metzler. I liked her at Oceanside. I think she, she can compete and then Emma Pallum. Okay. That'd be a fun, that'd be a fun finish. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. All right. And then on the men, I think he's, he's ranked almost at the bottom, but we know that the favorite has to be Christian Blumenfeld. Yeah. We need to talk about this, but um, we're not going to talk about it today. Rank world 160 Christian Blumenfeld. He's got to be the favorite. Hands down. Yep. Yeah, for uh, sure. In addition, in addition to him though, Daniel Backegaard, Ben Canute, 
Rudy Von Berg, Sam Appleton, Matt Hansen for the first time. We haven't seen him. Um, well, I don't know. We saw him in Daytona last year. Did we see him anywhere else? Uh, this year, I mean, he, he went to the Collins Cup this year. And I don't know that he was 100% healthy there. Um, and so he had the 16th best time at the Collins Cup. But uh, he's got one podium this year. He was second at 70.3 Florida. Um, but other than that, uh, we haven't really seen him race. We haven't seen him race a real race since 70.3 St. George back on May 1st. Yeah. It'll, uh, that'll be very interesting to see. Sebastian Keenley, Andrew Starkowitz, um, they're definitely going to be in the field. Will they be able to come through the field after probably not a front of the pack type of swim? George Goodwin, I think he was third. Yeah, he had fourth the, last. The, I mean, he, he was, was third year last year. He had the big breakout race. And yeah, yeah, you never know where he's going to be. He he didn't have a great day at 70.3 Worlds. He was only 30th. But uh, you never know with uh, yeah. With guys that are that strong, they can be just need to be on on the day. And then, yeah, Vincent Louis on both lists, as we've already mentioned. So huge yeah. stacked field. Who are you taking? Uh, Christian, I think Christian for the win, and Daniel Backegaard in second. And I'm going to go off the list and say that Frederick Funk gets third. I think he can uh, he can ride with Christian. And he's going to have a big enough lead that he's going to hang on to third. Okay. I'll give you a Christian. Um, he's obviously going to take the win. How about second? Man, it's just hard to. All right. I'm going to pick an American, Rudy Von Berg, on American soil for second, then Daniel Backgard. All right, that's very good. I think that I think that, I mean, that, I think that means though Rudy Rudy's in good shape, but I I think that means Rudy has to really attack the bike though. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think so. And and Rudy, he had mono recently and missed oh. some time, but it sounds like should he's I, getting should back. I to adjust it. my sketch? <laughs> should uh, I adjust my picks? Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. He was on uh, Greg Bennett's podcast last week. And okay. it sounds like he's back into pretty good training, but, um, and I don't know that he's for sure going to race though, either. Okay. I would then for, I, I would, I would, if take he's that not there just in case. And now, right. you know, he's I, would probably gonna, you know I would go Ben canoe. I would go Ben canoe. Yeah. I would love to see Ben canoe win a race yeah. like this. He's, uh, he picked up a win in uh, California. Yeah. Just a yeah. few weeks ago. So and he's, he, he's good at this distance, really good at this distance. Yeah. So, and he can, he's going to swim with the front. Right. Or and if he can swim with Christian, it'd be fun to see what happens on the ride. If he can bike with Christian. Yeah. yeah. So. so that's our recap. Maybe uh, we'll have to record next week to, to recap this race after, after it's over. Yeah. Cause there's so, so many good races this weekend and, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of the triathlon organizations out there maybe that's a good one for next week <laughs> there's too much to talk about related to all that but um now i know that keith this has been a whole lot of fun uh, again thanks everybody for listening if you've enjoyed this episode please make sure to give it a thumbs up give it five stars on whatever podcast streaming service you're listening to that's the most helpful thing you can do for us again you can catch our socials and the uh, fort worth tri club website information in the description show notes below um, we really appreciate everyone watching. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys in the next one. Thanks.